Okay, it's it's good to be back in Genesis again after being gone for for a while, for over a month. It's been a while since we uh, we 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 had our last lesson. We're going to pick up right where we left off the last time we were going through Genesis in Genesis chapter 25, in the middle of Genesis chapter 25. Well, we talked about the last class. Abraham sent his servant to Haran to get a wife for Isaac from among his people, and prayers are answered. He brings back Rebecca, and uh, she is the daughter of Abraham's nephew Bethuel, and also happens to be the sister of Laban, which will be an important character in the lessons to follow. After so uh, Isaac gets married at the age of 40, after 20 years, so he's now 60. He can, his wife Rebecca conceives twins. There's a prophecy as these these struggle is taking place in her womb, and she's she's perplexed by that. There's a prophecy says that there are actually two nations struggling in her womb, and that the older will serve the younger, which is very important. Firstborn of the twins is red and hairy and has given the name Esau. The secondborn is found grasping the heel of his brother. And as it explains in, in Genesis 27:36, his name Jacob is significant because it means the supplanter, one who takes the place of another. Let's start reading. Let's continue to start reading in Genesis chapter 25, verses 27 to 33. Genesis 25, verses 27 to 33. So the boys grew. Now Esau was a was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a simple man dwelling in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he ate his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Then Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field and was weary. So Esau said to Jacob, Let me taste this red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name is called Edom. But Jacob said to Esau, Sell me your birthright today. Esau replied, Look, I'm about to die. What good then is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me today. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. So, what did we learn from the passage? The two brothers are very different. Esau is an outdoorsman, rugged hunter. He's the favorite of his father, and it says Isaac liked him because he liked to eat the wild game that Esau captured. On the other hand, Jacob prefers to stay home in the tents. He's loved by his mother, Rebekah. Esau is famished and asks for some of the red stew that Jacob had prepared. And Jacob says, let's make a deal. He says... I tell you what, I'll give you the stew if you give me your birthright. That's a fair trade, isn't it? So uh, the first, the birthright is the, the inheritance that goes to the firstborn. Back in the old days, they had a system. It was, uh, I think it's called primogeniture. We have an estate attorney in the, in the audience here. So uh, 
where the firstborn would get the lion's share, or the largest share of the inheritance. So Esau accepts the deal. He's very hungry, and he swears to hand over an oath to hand over his birthright to Jacob. And Esau gains the name Edom, which is based on the Hebrew word for red. And it's a name that will be carried on by his descendants, the Edomites. So in, later on in, in the Old Testament, we'll talk about the Edomites, their descendants from Edom or Esau. And uh, it just happens that the area where they live, there's a lot of red rocks. So that's, uh, that's, they're, 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 they're the red people. So uh, what do we learn about Jacob's spiritual character from this story? We learn a few things about him. Is this the kind of man who exemplifies the attributes that are held up in the New Testament as far as his heart by Jesus and the apostles? We think about what's held up in the scriptures. Jesus says the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Does he exhibit that? No, he did not. He does not. Uh, We're supposed to share our food with those who are in need. Does he do that? No, he doesn't. Or... Uh, as I look, it seems to me that Jacob was actually selfish, manipulative, crafty, cunning, and taking advantage of his brother who is in need. So that's the kind of character that, that Jacob displays in this story. Very disturbing. So he, he certainly doesn't seem to have very good spiritual character at all. Let's continue Genesis chapter 26. And the story of Genesis chapter 26 is it's a story which is actually reminiscent of two things in Abraham's life. And rather than read the story, we're going to read just the first part of the story in Genesis 26, <clears throat> verses 1 to 14, and then we'll, we'll talk about the rest of it. Now there was a Genesis uh, chapter 26 starting in verse 1. Of course, I'm reading from uh, a version based on the Septuagint, which may vary slightly from other ones that people are reading. Now there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt, live in the land where I will tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your seed I give all the lands, and I will perform the oath I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your seed multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give your seed all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham, your father, obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my ordinances, and my laws. So Isaac dwells in Gerar. Now the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She's my sister. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife, lest the men of the place should kill him for Rebekah, because she was beautiful, do you hold? Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of Gerar, looked through a window and saw Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she's your wife. So how could you say, she's my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said to myself, lest I should die on account of her. Thus Abimelech said, Why have you done this to us? One of our people could easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, 
He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had herds of sheep and oxen and many fields, so the Philistines envied him. So, basic story, famine in the land. Isaac goes to the land of Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord tells Isaac to stay in the land. He is not to go down to Egypt. That's a, that's a theme that appears again in, this, again in the scriptures. Don't go back to Egypt. The Lord repeats the promise to Isaac that was given to Abraham. That the, the, he, he reiterates that the great promise that would be made was made to Abraham of descendants like the stars in the sky and that all nations would be blessed through him, that that passes down through Isaac, which of course is very significant as the Christians and the Muslims wrestle over, and the Jews wrestle over this question of where did the blessing of Abraham descend? Did it descend through um, Abraham's first son, um, or did it descend through his second son Isaac? So that's the the, uh, the that's that's reiterated to Isaac that the blessing from Abraham comes through him. Uh, Isaac is afraid that the men would kill his beautiful wife, so he says, "She's my sister." Who else did that? Abraham did it twice. He did it in Genesis chapter uh, uh, twelve in Egypt, and then he he did the same thing to a man who was said to Abimelech the king of Gerar in Genesis chapter 20 since it's this is decades after that I assume that it's a, a, a king same king with the same name just a different uh, a different king Abimelech of the of the Philistines in Gerar and then king sees him showing affection to his wife he said this obviously isn't your sister it's your wife and uh, he's protected, the Lord blesses him, and he becomes very wealthy. So this is just like what happened to his father, Abraham. Why did Abraham do what he did, which is basically be, be either lie or lie, mislead, be deceitful about not, not admitting the fact that, that this is his wife, she could have been violated by somebody else, she could have been taken by another, another man, and Abimelech is very concerned about that as well. What motivated him to do that? And it's obvious the answer is fear. He's fearing for his life. He's afraid that one of the people there is going to kill him and take his wife if he finds out that that's his wife because she's beautiful. It's just the same thing with Abraham. So uh, not showing a great deal of, of courage here. Then after this, in the rest of the chapter, conflict. So, so Isaac prospers. He becomes very wealthy. And this is a desert land. There is a conflict that breaks out over the well waters because if you control the water, then that controls your your flocks and your 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 uh, your land, everything else. So there's a the dispute that breaks out between the herdsmen of the Philistines and the herdsmen over Isaac over ownership of the wells, and in the midst of that, the Lord appears to Isaac one night. And reassures him. And I'd like to read what it says in Genesis 26, verses 23 to 25. 
says, Then he went up from there to the well of Oath. Now the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your seed for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. So he says, Do not fear, for I am with you. And this is a this is this is a sentiment that is expressed again and again throughout the scriptures. Don't be afraid, God says, I am with you. Just as I was with your father Abraham, I'm going to be with you as well. He's a fearful man. Now, most of us struggle with fear today about one thing or another. And it's a temptation when we're afraid to give in to anxiety or some other sins. It's a source of great temptation. So I think there's a lot to learn from here. God says, don't be afraid because I am with you. Do you believe when you are afraid of people or circumstances or things, do you believe that God is right there with you? Generally, that's not, that's not what's going on at the time. I'm, I'm concerned about the people or the circumstances or the financial impact or whatever's going on and not focused on the idea that God is with me or was with us. I want to take a look at a few scriptures that touch on this because this is very important for us. In Psalm 118, verse 5, it says, In affliction I called upon the Lord, and He heard me in a broad place. The Lord is my helper. I shall not be afraid of what man will do to me. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6, Before Moses dies, He encourages the people in the face of the things that they're afraid of that are going to follow when he's not there. He says, be vigilant. This is Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be vigilant and strong. Do not fear nor be afraid of them nor be terrified before them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes before you and will be with you and among you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He's reassuring them God will be with them. He'll be among them. He won't be leaving them alone. They won't be hung out to dry. After the death of Moses, the Lord appeared to Joshua and reassured him, saying very similar things. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 1, reading verses 5 to 9. Because this is good for us to always remember this. Why we shouldn't fear. God says to Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, No man shall be able to oppose you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, thus I will be with you. I will not forsake you nor disregard you. 
Be strong and courageous, for you will divide this land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Be strong, therefore, and courageous to guard yourself and to do as Moses my servant commanded you. Then you'll not turn away from, from them to the right or to the left. In this way you will have understanding in whatever you do. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night that you may have understanding to do all the things written therein. Then you will, be, then you will both prosper, make your ways prosperous, and have understanding. Behold, I have commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be cowardly or fearful, for the Lord your God is with you in all things wherever you go. So... You know, the song says you've got to take the Lord with you everywhere you go. And this is something that uh, the, Lord, the Lord is with him. He says if we are, he tells, he tells Joshua, you need to be like Moses was, and I will be with you in all the enemies that you're going to face in everything you're doing. He tells him that don't you need to meditate on and follow the book of the law and I will be with you I will not forsake you so you have you don't have to be cowardly you don't have to be afraid now this was true in the past is it still true for us today let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13 which is addressed to Christians it's a reminder to us, using the examples from the past, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So he's reminding them of what Moses said in Deuteronomy 31. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me, which is what we just read from Psalm 118. So that's the attitude that, that we are called to have as Christians, to understand that God is with us, He will never forsake us, we can be content and at peace and not give way to fear, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen. Let's continue in chapter 27. We're moving on to the story of Isaac stealing the blessing that was intended for Esau. And read chapter 27, verses 1 to 17, a longer passage. But all the details of this story are important. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old, and his eyes were so dim he could not see, that he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold now, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out in the field and hunt game for me. Then make some savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game for his father. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her younger son, saying, Indeed, I've heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make me savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. 
Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the sheep and bring me from there two kids, choice and good, and I will make savory food from, from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and bless you before his death. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, put them on Jacob, her younger son. She also put the skins on the kids of, his, of the kids on his hands and on the exposed part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So this is a... Uh, a wild story. Isaac is old and blind. Uh, at the end of the previous chapter, it talked about Esau getting married at the age of 40. Now, Isaac was 60 when Esau was born, so at this point in time, I have to figure he's at least 100 years old. And he's blind. And he, and as we'll learn further in the story, everyone else assumes he's on the edge of death, that it's just a matter of days before he's going to die. Now, <clears throat> it turns out he ends up living for decades longer, but no one knows that at the time. Everyone assumes he's just about to die. Uh, my mother died last month, and she, I actually, we talked about this very story right before, just in the weeks before she died, and she said, I think her health was declining rapidly, although there was no diagnosis. And she says, she was kind of disgusted, and she said, I think I could, I could be dying right now. And she talk, talked about things that she was concerned about. And I shared this story with her, and I said, well, you might be dying, but you could live longer. This, it's hard to tell sometimes, because just think of the story of Isaac. Everybody thought he was going to die, and he lived on for decades longer, so you just don't know. So I was saying, I wasn't saying she wasn't going to, but sometimes you don't know. So Isaac tells Esau to hunt for game and prepare his favorite food and come in, and he get the, the blessing. Rebecca overhears the conversation, comes up with a plan to deceive her husband Isaac. Remember that the story started off as this beautiful love story mm. between Isaac and Rebecca. Now here, uh, uh, Rebecca is plotting with one of her sons to basically do an end run around her, her husband. So I guess after 60 years of marriage, things have degraded a little bit there. Jacob <clears throat> objects. His mother orders him to do this. And Jacob refuses to do it. Now, he doesn't refuse by saying, well, that would be a lie. How, how could I lie against my father? It would be a sin against God. He doesn't say that. What he says is, I don't want to do it because I could get caught, and then my father will curse me instead of blessing me. So, uh, once again, his character shines, shines forth very clear. Uh, and it, perhaps there were more than one reason that his mother, he was his mother's favorite here. So, so Rebecca insists that he, her son, obey her voice 
And she says, any curse will fall on her. I guess he could just say, well, I'm just following my mother's order, so the curse should go fall back to her. She puts Esau's clothes on Jacob so that he will smell like Esau. Animal skins on his arms and neck so he'll feel like Esau. And she makes stew from the flocks of the kids from the flock and seasons it so it will taste like the game. Now, of course, Isaac is blind, so he can't see anything. The only, the only possible avenue left is the fact is the hearing, and we'll see that that's exactly what happens. So um, Jacob and his mother conspiring together, they're crafty and deceitful. So that's, 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 that's what's going on. Let's continue on the story starting in verse 18. Genesis 27, verse 18. We'll read down to verse 24. Thus he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Arise, sit and eat my game, and your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He said, this is, a, this is a real whopper here. He says, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Mr. Spiritual here. <laughs> then Isaac said to Jacob, come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's. Thus he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And then he said, are you my son Esau? And he said, I am. So, he tells the first lie to his father. Who is it? Hi, it's Esau, your firstborn. I've done just like you told me. So there's lie number one. And then he says, well, how, how in the world would you able to find the game so quickly? I just sent you out the door. And he says, because the Lord your God brought it to me. So he tells an even bigger lie the second time. And then he still has doubts, and he because it does. It's obviously he's suspecting something isn't quite right here. He feels his arms, and then he asks one more time, "Are you my son Esau?" And Jacob tells point blank lie, "Yes, I am." So he lies three times to his father. Genesis twenty-seven. In uh, verse 25, and he gets the blessing. We'll read verses 25 to 29. He said, Bring your game to me, my son. I will eat from it that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate. He brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing. Thus he blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field the Lord is blessed. Therefore may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. And curse be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. So the blessing, I'll point out two things in the blessing here. One is that he, Jacob, in this case, will be Lord over all his brothers. So that would be, so he's basically going to be Lord over all of his mother's other sons, which would be Esau, and that they would bow down to him. So that's one part of the blessing. 
The other part, which I just noticed recently, is he said, Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. So Esau shows up second. We'll read verses 30 down to 40. Now it happened as soon as Isaac finished blessing Jacob his son, and Jacob is scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from hunting. And he also had made savory food and brought it into his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. Then Esau is said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he's taken away my blessing. So he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your Lord, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me. Me also, O my father. When Isaac was troubled, Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So that doesn't sound like very much of a blessing. So so get the picture. Jacob is heading out the door and Esau comes in right after him. Isaac is trembling with rage when he realizes that his son has deceived him. And and Esau remarks, Jacob was the right name for him because he's supplanted me twice. This is the second time he's done it. The first time he took away my birthright. So he's blaming his brother for... The fact that he swore on oath, he traded it in for the stew. And he weeps in despair, begging for another blessing. Isaac gives him a lesser blessing than he gave the uh, uh, Jacob. Esau would live by the sword. He would serve his brother Jacob. That doesn't sound like much of a blessing. And it says, eventually, when you become restless whatever that means, Esau would break the yoke of his brother from off of his neck. So the question I had, I'll throw this one out to you, is once Isaac realized that he had been deceived by his son, this was the thing that Jacob was afraid of in the beginning. He says, what if my father finds out I've deceived him and then I'll be cursed? So once his father finds out that he has in fact deceived him, why didn't Isaac simply revoke the first blessing and curse his son? Like they were afraid he was going to. 
One possibility, maybe blessings like this were unconditional and irrevocable. I don't know, even, even though it was given under false pretense. Another possibility, which, which makes sense to me, uh, thinking about this, one of the terms of Isaac's blessing said, anyone, everyone who curses you will be cursed. So basically, he shut the door and nailed it shut. Even he couldn't go back and curse his son because of what he said. Anyone who curses you will be cursed. So he, was, he shut himself out in Genesis 27, verse 29. Now, how did Esau react to his younger brother cheating him out of the blessing? It's a very predictable way. Let's read verses 41 to 46. Thus Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his mind, Let the days of mourning from my father draw near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah, and she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau is threatening to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Mesopotamia to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's anger and wrath turn away from you, and he forgets what you did to him. Then I will send and bring you back from there. Why should I be reaped also of both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of this land, what good will my life be to me? So it said at the end of the previous chapter that at the age of 40 that Esau had taken two Hittite wives and it really got under the skin of both of his parents. It really, both of his parents, it was a, it was a major irritation. And, and so he, he sent away for, for more, more than one reason. So Esau's reaction is predictable. Hates his brother, wants to kill him. So his father's blessing was, said, he said that you'll become restless after a while and then you'll throw the yoke off. I think Esau is probably thinking, I'm restless right now. So a few minutes after my father's dead, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a double funeral here. We're gonna kill him. I'm gonna kill him. I'm not only gonna break the yoke off my neck. I'm gonna break his neck at the same time. So, so he he was he was just assuming his father was gonna die, and he's not gonna wait for his father and mother to die. He doesn't care what his mother thinks. He just he just wants to uh, 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 treat his father with honor here. Uh, Rebecca overhears, warns Jacob to flee, to stay with her brother Laban. Surely he'll take good care of him. <laughs> and uh, she says, look, he's going to die soon. This will all blow over in a few days. Esau will get on with life. He'll forget about it. I'll send the word when the coast is clear and then he can come back. But this whole thing is only going to take a few days. So ends up taking 20 years. It doesn't work out that way. But that's what she's thinking. And that's, I'm sure that's what he thought as well. So, and and she's, she's disgusted with the Hittite wives that Esau took, and perhaps she's thinking, well, if she goes over to, uh, to uh, Haran, then maybe he can find a wife of better stock than, than these, these two uh, horrible wives that Esau has. Uh, so this crazy, twisted story here, are there any lessons from us? I have a question for you. Which of the two brothers would you say, based on everything we've read, is worse? Jacob or Esau? Let's consider Jacob first. He's a liar and deceiver. He lies 
three times point blank to his father. He's a thief. He steals the blessing intended for his brother. He has no compassion whatsoever for his hungry brother, takes advantage of his hunger and his weakness to trick him into making an oath to give him his birthright. He's selfish and manipulative. He's a mother's boy who obeys his mother over his father. Okay, this is, this is Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes. Let's take a look at Esau. Uh, he's, he's not that smart, it seems to me. He's constantly getting outsmarted by his brother. He's getting outmaneuvered by his brother. He's an outdoorsman. He's a favorite of his father. He, he made, apparently made a bad choice with the two wives that, that he married from the local Hittites but doesn't appear that that's disobeying any command of God at this point in, in history. So, Jacob and Esau, in your heart of hearts, which of the two would you say is worse? I would say Esau because he wants to kill his brother. Well, that's a good point too. Esau, Esau wants vengeance on his brother, but it's kind of understandable. His brother's done dirty to him twice, and he, he figures, uh, so he, he de- that's a good point too. He has some vengeance. I think... A lot of people would look at these two two people and say, well, Jacob's worse. Right. Jacob is much worse than Esau. He has terrible character. He has no love. He's selfish. And he's, he's a pathological liar, even to his father. So a lot of people would look at that. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, of course, is written to Christians to prepare us for the challenges that we face in this life. Hebrews 13, we'll start reading in verse 14. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator... Or profane person like Esau, some translations it says godless, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now he doesn't say, see to it that nobody is a liar and a selfish person like Jacob. He says, see to it that no one is a profane, a fornicator or a profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food or for one meal sold his birthright and afterwards couldn't get it back. I believe in God's view of the two sons of the twins, Esau was by far the worst. He was a profane person who sold his birthright for a single meal. And according to the Hebrews writer, there is a powerful lesson for us today. We are to make sure that we don't, and no one in the church does, follow his example, and it ties it back to the sin of fornication. The classic choice that we are faced with 
every day of our lives is the same choice that Esau was presented with and failed. Do you want to please your flesh and gratify your flesh right now? Or do you want to restrain the flesh because you're looking forward to your birthright inheritance, which is in a time yet to come? That's the choice that, we're, that we have to face. That's the fo- choice you have to face when you're on the internet, when you're on your iPhone, when a businessman is going on a business trip in his hotel. If you have a television in your house, or whether you have a television in your house or not, that's a decision that you have to make. The choice for many people, and it's referred to here, is immediate gratification. And he ties it back to fornication. What is fornication? Adultery, sexual sin. It's short-term gratification of the flesh. And that was the sin that Esau was guilty of. He wanted to gratify his flesh. He didn't care about the future. So sins of immediate sexual gratification, pornography, adultery, fornication, any kind of perversion, sins of gluttony, uh, a desire for wealth, praise, popularity, adulation, desire to avoid persecution. Do you want to, when you're faced with the choice, am I going to gratify the flesh and feel good right now, or am I going to hold back and have self-control because I'm looking forward to something down the road? Esau chose the former. Jacob chose the latter. He valued the birthright. He valued the inheritance even to the point, unfortunately, where he lied and deceived and manipulated to get it. But he valued the thing that really matters. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, If only for this life we have hope, we are to be pitied more than all men. That's the first thing we have to remember when we're faced with temptation is, are we going to give in to the flesh right now, or are we, going, are we holding out for the greater reward? The, the counterexample to me, the classic counterexample to me, is in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 27, the example of Moses. It says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Moses was raised with all of the pleasures of sin available to him growing up in royalty in Egypt. Yeah, he was like the prince of Egypt, and he didn't know... That That's right. He was, he was like the prince of Egypt. He was a prince in Egypt, and he had access to all the goodies and all the joys and all the gratification that was available in Egypt. 
And it said that he didn't, rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, he would rather face the reproach of Christ because he valued more than all the treasures in Egypt the greater reward that was held out for him. This is the choice that Joseph had to face when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. That Phineas faced when the nation was being caught up in sexual immorality in the day in the, by the Midianites. That Daniel faced in the lion's den and his three faced friends faced when they were threatened with a fiery furnace. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 that all the heroes of faith in the old, the great crowd of witnesses, it says, of whom the world was not worthy. They faced suffering, persecution, prison, and death because they were looking forward to a better resurrection and promises of things to come. The war against the flesh will continue until we are dead. Esau is the poster child, is the classic example of the wrong way to go. That if we reject our birthright, and if we despise our inheritance and sell it for some short-term pleasure, if we follow in the path that he's go that he went down and don't repent, we can end up in a place like him with tears after it's too late. God dealt with Jacob's sin later in a powerful way. We'll we'll take a look at that in our next lesson. Jacob did not get away with anything. However, he is someone who valued highly the birthright. There's, 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 for a godless person like Esau, who's just living for pleasure, there is no hope unless they repent. Amen.